0: And they're like, hey, remember that fucking mouse from Laughagram?
1: Hey, and welcome to Meet Your Heroes. I'm Elliot.
0: And I'm Audrey.
1: And this is the podcast where we ignore the very good conventional wisdom to never meet your heroes and instead get to know what those people were really like
0: all their messy little bits
1: every little bit all of them. sounds more inappropriate when you say it that way
0: yeah messy little bits <laughs> anybody who's listening that can be your new band name
1: there we go album
0: title
1: just take that one for free
0: yeah twitter handle it's, it's kind messy of little value
1: bits. we provide on this podcast <laughs> it <is. laughs> it's been a week and a half or two it's been it's been several weeks since last month yeah. And uh indeed.
0: Yeah, well so last week we recorded pretty quickly. The last couple of weeks we've just been trying to keep up with the news cycle,
1: which is fantastic because the news that we are struggling to keep up with is the millions of people taking to the streets all over the country yeah. to pl- to protest police brutality yes. and violence against black and brown uh, people in America. Um so yeah, great developments. Uh, A lot of people either waking up to or naming the issue in a way that is has rarely been, frankly, so just across the board.
0: Yeah. And I think it's one of those things where when we started this podcast, you and I were both like, there are so many people who have shaped the way we think about the world and they are so much worse. Than we were ever taught.
1: Yeah, there, there's just like a systemic failure yes. in American education. Oh,
0: it's not a failure. It well, is sorry. very deliberate.
1: Yes. Okay. So it is a failure. It intentional.
0: It has failed us. Yes. It has failed the people, but it has supported the system.
1: Yeah. Right. It is much easier for people to be okay with a system like this if they are under the impression that it's like generally benign. Right. That it right that it just wasn't founded on a deep core of dehumanization right. of this massive percent of the population. So, yes, so we've been trying to keep up. But as we've started to see a broader conversation come out of these protests yes. and a broader reimagining, um, like, for example, right, people not just protesting police brutality, but, like, the statues of slave owners coming down, of Christopher Columbus Hell being yeah. torn down. Yes. Go back, episode two. Still one of my favorites. It just, is still
0: one of your favorites. You talk about it a lot.
1: Yeah, because, honestly it's that we've been sold this culture war component, right? Which is right. like, oh, people are like trying to revise history and take Columbus out of it. And it's like, no, that motherfucker was locked up for being an insane, <laughs> brutal, incompetent idiot right. in the day. Yeah. Like it is a whitewash. It is not. It is like the, the quintessential whitewashing to even pretend like he was halfway, like halfway not crazy.
0: Right. Yeah. I saw a tweet this week. Oh, it really tickled me that it was like um, hypothetical person, you know. If you take down all the statues, how am I going to learn history? And the response was like, bro, you think Christopher Columbus discovered America. You already don't know history. Yeah, right. yes.
1: <laughs> it is not helping. Whatever no. it's doing, it is definitely not Mm-mm. helping.
0: Nope. So, um, but you are one of those very few people who actually stops and reads every single history, historic monument sign we ever come across. Yes. It shout, has been a point of contention where I'm like, let's get this show on the shout road. Shout
1: out to Roman Mars, 99% Invisible, um read the plaque
0: you got to read the plaque yeah trying to keep up with this news cycle these many news cycles we have focused on a number of political figures for obvious reasons right like those policies shape our world uh policy change is the one of the very best ways you can make the greatest amount of change for the largest number of people and in not wanting to let our foot off the gas thinking about the systems and structures and ideologies that have been pushed on us, but also wanting to expand the conversation beyond just the politics of it, Uh, I selected a hero who undoubtedly has contributed to the implicit bias of tens of millions of Americans and was also explicitly quite terrible, Walt Disney.
1: I like this one because Feels like we could definitely be sued based on what we say here.
0: We could be, (laughs) except what I will say is there is absolutely nothing that I have uh, pulled this week that is an editorialization of anything that he said or did. It's all from other articles. We've put it together.
1: We've assembled this. Yes. Based on these sources. These are all things that are out there about Walt Disney. Yes. So don't sue us, please.
0: Right. Please don't. But also his granddaughter is pretty down for the cause so i feel like yeah i feel like she would really want people to know that there needs to be a greater representation of people and increased diversity in the number one media company in the world
1: yeah all right well then let's get started
0: cool walt disney you hear his name yeah what do you think
1: His name is literally synonymous with the largest entertainment company in the world. (laughs) The one that is eating up all of the other stories. Disney now not only owns all the classic Disney and the streaming service and the theme parks and the movies and Pixar, which Steve Jobs started, right? And Mm -hmm. all of the Star Wars stuff now and the Simpsons and the Marvel universe. Like just basically, you know, 60%, 70% of Americans fond childhood Characters.
0: Sure. So that's the company. What about the man?
1: About the man? Mm Hmm.
0: What do you know about Walt Disney, the person?
1: Animator. Kicked it off with Mickey Mouse and like to walk around the theme parks. I know there was a little bit of like a the what we call the cleanup crew that like trying to clean up his image. Yes. I know a little bit about that, but just a tiny bit.
0: Okay. Cool. Well, let's go back to the beginning. Born December fifteenth, nineteen o one. At this point, I feel like you should know what zodiac sign December 15th (laughs) is, but I feel like you probably don't.
1: Wait, so we're saying December 15th, which means this is time for...
0: Audrey's Astrology Corner.
1: So what sign is this? Sagittarius. Okay, I would never have guessed that.
0: Okay, did you even know that was a, a sign?
1: It sounds familiar?
0: Yeah, because we've done multiple heroes are okay. <laughs> Sagittarius.
1: <laughs> got it. Got it.
0: Um, all right. So, Audrey's Astrology Corner. Sagittarius, born on December 15th. Extremely friendly and funny. They like attention. They take control of audiences and they make them their own. They have magnetic personalities. If it's, quote unquote, different, they'll do it. And if someone says that it can't be done, they are the person to do it. And they are driven by the idea of fame and fortune. At this point, how are you not a believer? You're rolling your eyes.
1: Yes, I'm rolling my Sorry, audible eye roll. Yeah.
0: Listen, buddy.
1: Look, okay. Fame and fortune. Yes, name of the game.
0: Captivating an audience.
1: I mean, the audience is a little on the nose.
0: It's a little on the nose. Okay. Okay. Anyway, born in Chicago, he's the fourth of five children. He has four he has three older brothers and a younger sister. When he's 4, the family moved to a small town in Missouri, and then at the age of 11, they moved to Kansas City. He has a pretty normal childhood, although some biographers talk about the fact that he had like an emotionally distant father and, you know, lacked attention from either parent. But that's yeah. It's like the turn of the century, you got 5 kids. Deal with it. Well, yeah.
1: lucky you're not on a farm.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you are lucky you're not on a farm. Exactly. So normal childhood. Got a paper out. Got shitty grades.
1: Okay, interesting.
0: Uh, fell asleep in class a lot. Having to wake up at four thirty to deliver papers. That usual sort of like middling student we feature on here. The like Alexander nah. Graham Bell, Gandhi, Lenin.
1: Unremarkable in school.
0: Unremarkable in school. However, at the time, he was also taking classes at KCAI, the Kansas City Art Institute, okay, and a correspondence course in cartooning, which at the time was literally like, I'm going to draw this cartoon and put it in an envelope, mail it to a professional, and they're going to send me notes back.
1: They're, you're going to get graded over the... Wow.
0: An actual correspondence.
1: The udacity of its day.
0: <laughs> exactly. 1917... Disney is 16 at this point. His dad buys stock in a jelly company in Chicago. As one does. As one does. And so the family moves back to Chicago. But it's also the middle of World War I, right? Well, so, wait. So
1: in the middle of World War One, he's like, you jelly. know what we got to do with this, <laughs> yeah. this money? Getting a jelly business, son.
0: Yes. It's not happening in Kansas City. Let's go back to Chicago. Disney tries then to sort of like make a name for himself at this new school. He becomes a cartoonist for the newspaper. He starts like drawing all of this sort of like patriotic propaganda for all of his classmates and when he's like 17, so a year after he moves there, he tries to enroll in the army.
1: That's something you can do at 17? No, because... you
0: can't. He's too young, okay, so he okay. forges a birth certificate.
1: <laughs> wow. Yep. Putting those cartoon and art skills to good use.
0: Right. And so by the time he goes through training and gets shipped out, he is actually 18. Okay. So it's... I wrote on my paper 2019, but it was not. It was <laughs> 1919. He gets shipped to France in November of 1919. Got it. After the Armistice had been... Oh, had wow. Been. Okay. So the war's over. I so mean,
1: he, honestly, that's a pretty... That's a pretty good timing pretty right there. Pretty good gig, right? Did he finish high school?
0: Yeah, I think so, because he was able to enroll as part of um, the Red Cross. So I would imagine. But you know what? He's faking all his papers. Who knows? Who knows? Who exactly. Knows?
1: Need a high school diploma? Done. Done. Why does it have all these like cartoon flowers on it? Doesn't matter. <laughs> Doesn't
0: matter. Doesn't matter. That's flair. So he shows up. They're like, JK, war's over. Get back on the boat and go home. He does. But instead of going to Chicago, he goes back to Kansas City. Interesting. He loved it. City of fountains.
1: The, si- the Paris of the Plains, as the, they say. The
0: Paris of the Plains.
1: Nobody really says that.
0: I mean, nobody who's actually from there says that.
1: Nobody who's ever been there says that.
0: <laughs> okay, so that's rude. That is my childhood hometown. How dare you?
1: <laughs> Let me say this. Being your childhood hometown, you know the city well. Mm -hmm. You have never said that. (laughs) I have
0: never. I have never said that. I've said many things about Kansas City, but I've also never been to Paris. That's fair point. He goes back. He gets an apprenticeship at a commercial art studio and he befriends this person who I'm going to say their name now as it is often referenced. His granddaughter said it was pronounced differently. So whoever wants to like come at me, they can. But he befriends UbiWorks.
1: UbiWorks.
0: Yes, his granddaughter says it's supposed to be pronounced "ub," like "ub" iWorks. So either one, I'm gonna call him UbiWorks.
1: Ub, that is a baby name that you do not see getting (laughs) enough circulation these days.
0: (laughs) U b b e. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's long overdue for a resurgence. It's
0: very Scandinavian.
1: Anybody who's out there. About to have a baby. Again, um, we... feel free to have this baby name. That's the kind of value you get on this podcast. That's
0: right. The recommendations start coming and they don't stop coming.
1: Baby up. All right.
0: <laughs> um, so he meets UBI Works. And UBI Works would later go on to be the person who actually drew the canonical Mickey Mouse as we know him.
1: Oh, the D so, one. The it wasn't
0: one. Walt. No, not the one that we know. Okay. Um. That is not to say that Walt wasn't micromanaging all parts of the creative process, but it's important to know that UBI works, living in Kansas City, chilling, they meet, they get together. It's, at this point, 1920, so Walt is only 19. He's been to France for a hot minute, got sent back. He's He's lived
1: a life. He's
0: lived a life. I mean,
1: in the day, right, if you were potentially going off to war... If you were having a life expectancy of like 45 years, you just got to get that living in while you can.
0: Joins the Kansas City Film Ad Company, where he and I works. This is after they've done this apprenticeship. The other company they were at, it like, closes down, not enough money. How do you spell I works? I-W-E-R-K-S.
1: Oh, there's no X in there. Okay. No,
0: I works. Um, it, it's not a fucking tech company like from Palo Alto. <laughs> I mean, they no, sound no like a tech company. <laughs> like they make fucking bionic glasses
1: or something. Yeah.
0: Animation company that's looking for a name, could we suggest? Honestly. I works.
1: This is the kind of value you get from this podcast. <laughs> uh, as So they yes. leave the first company.
0: They leave the first company and they are working at this place and together the Kansas City Film Ad Company and they make this like 12 minute film animated film using basically like the forefront of animation at the time it's not animation like we think of it now but it was just like whoa blowing people's minds and it's this place called the Laughagram Studio and at the Laughagram Studio Walt Disney left some food out on his desk befriended a mouse
1: Wait, it was an actual mouse that came up to his desk because he was just being sl- sloppy?
0: That's a story he tells.
1: Yeah, I don't believe that.
0: Listen, buddy, I didn't do any further digging into that, okay. but <laughs> he's at laugh chilling with this mouse. 1923, studio goes bankrupt.
1: Oh, wow. That that fast. Okay.
0: Yes. It is hard living on the front lines of animation <laughs> in Kansas City Yes. in the, the 1920s.
1: Notorious mean streets of animators <laughs> in Kansas City.
0: Right. He sells all his belongings, buys a one-way ticket to California. Mm. That's where his brother Roy, one of his brothers, is um, convalescing tuberculosis.
1: Wait, okay, so if my memory serves me correctly, convalescing is history speak for just laying around sick with a disease we can't cure yet. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Just chilling, trying to recover from just, it. Yeah. The, um, when you
0: had tuberculosis, go someplace warm and yeah. sunny. That was
1: that's the best bet.
0: That's the best you could do. That's what they got. And it
1: also makes sense because you know what they say: if you can't make it in Kansas, you can always go to your backup in California. <laughs> that's
0: that's the one. Mm-hmm. So he heads to Hollywood. Um, he is doing some odd jobs here and there, working animating. New York City is really where like the animation hotspot is at the time. But he goes to Hollywood. He's like, listen, why not here? In 1924, he gets Iworks to move to Hollywood. And he's like, there's a lot of opportunity.
1: Wait, Iworks like they were bankrupt. But is he bringing equipment and stuff? Or is he trying to bring... Yeah,
0: Disney had nothing. So then he goes to work at another studio.
1: Got it. Oh, and, and... he's trying to restart up Iwerks. Oh, Iworks is the guy, not the studio. That's right. It's not the tech startup. It is actually... There is no
0: tech startup. <laughs> <laughs> Iworks. he is bringing UB Iwerks from Kansas City. He's like...
1: Baby up, as we call him.
0: Baby up. Meet me out here. Gives I works to go. 1925, he marries a woman named Lillian Bounds. Uh, apparently, they had a relatively happy marriage. He was pretty moody throughout it. There's like stories of him having a hard day at the office and coming home and spending like hours in the evening playing with a toy train set and just like ignoring his wife and children.
1: Oh, wait, <laughs> a toy train set? is like, pick your poison. I'll I take mean, it's not like they had trains. video games. Yeah. It I mean, had like a
0: real tunnel and everything. <laughs> right?
1: Hey, I guess I guess so. I guess that's like the, the equivalent of like just kicking it on Xbox Live. Is yes. Playing with the toy trains in the basement.
0: Coming home, thinking, playing with toy trains. Uh, one of his biographers notes that he was always telling people that he was quote unquote henpecked. So Hen- henpecked. Yeah, I feel like that's like, like a
1: nagging wife. Is that like what that... pussy whipped? <laughs> okay, got it, got it, got it. Yes,
0: <laughs> but henpecked. You wouldn't know anything about that.
1: No, but please, what? what? Whatever no you say.
0: After he gets married, he's got iWorks out there. He sets up Disney Brothers Studio, which would eventually become just like Disney Studios. Is uh,
1: he? Is he? Is his brother well? And they're like doing this together now. They're
0: doing this together. So he sets it up with Roy. And then for about three years, they're sort of like animating stories that already existed for other people for their distribution. So they're an animation studio, but they're not necessarily like creating original content and like distributing it.
1: Got it. Animating other people's stories. Okay. Yes.
0: 1928. He's like, this is boring. I want to create my own animated series and I want to find distributors for it. So he and Iworks put their heads together. And they're like, hey, remember that fucking mouse from laugh Let's make a series about this mouse. Let's call him Mortimer.
1: Yeah, that's the classic. (laughs) That's the thought.
0: Yeah, and his his wife, who was henpecking him, was like, that sounds too pompous. Why don't you call it Mickey? And so Disney was like, okay, Mickey Mouse. 1928, Mickey Mouse debuts in this short called Steamboat Willie.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: This is where things start to pick up in terms of... Less than ideal Walt Disney.
1: Okay, because so far he's just a guy who's like a little bit weird with his train set, but Mm -hmm. otherwise just giving it a go, drawing cartoons.
0: Yes. So there are, and I'm only saying this as an opportunity to clarify disinformation that has been spread. There are, quote unquote, conflicting takes. On the origins and the symbolism of Mickey Mouse's appearance. There has, as of recent, within the last decade, been a Facebook post that was shared widely. That depicted the traditional, I don't want to say traditional, the image of uh, a minstrelly character called a Jigaboo. And it's side by side with Mickey Mouse and they're like look this was the inspiration for Mickey Mouse and it's a piece of art by a contemporary artist named Michael Ray Charles and it's from 1994
1: oh so there was it was like a backdating trying to like it was art that was illustrating a connection there but people were yes. reading it as the other way around
0: yes so mickey mouse the actual character was inspired by many component components of blackface minstrelsy do you know anything about this?
1: Do I, I know what a uh, minstrel show is? Yes. Yes. It is It is a type of entertainment that was popular with white audiences back, you know, 100, 150 years ago. Yep. And it is basically a blackface caricature.
0: So it is a form of entertainment that uh, was popularized in the 1830s and 40s. And it was white people who put on blackface makeup performed skits and music and bits in which they lampooned and very specifically tried to make black people appear like cartoonish and lazy and unintelligent.
1: Playing all of their negative stereotypes of black people to the extreme for laughs.
0: It was one of the primary mediums for a lot of people who didn't interact with black people Routinely for them to like understand black culture. And let me be very clear. It was not black culture. No, it it
1: was it was wilding out white people.
0: Yes, it was wildly offensive takes uh, that white people capitalized on and profited from.
1: Despite the misleading Facebook meme about the specific image Mm -hmm. the the nugget of truth is true. The Mickey Mouse character is, in fact, based on those same tropes and those same visual styles.
0: Yes. Let me share some information from the foremost expert on this. So there's a person named Nicholas Salmond, and he was featured on an episode of NPR's Code Switch. Okay. Talking specifically about this. So he is a professor of cinema, and he wrote a book called Birth of an Industry, Blackface Minstrelsy and the Rise of American Animation. So he knows what he's talking about.
1: Yeah, seems like it. Right person to talk to.
0: In an NPR interview last year, uh, Salmond talked about the conventions of blackface and minstrel shows in the creation of and many of Mickey Mouse's original animations. Blackface minstrelsy was one of the first uh, theatrical forms that was distinctly American. This is a sort of show that doesn't really exist anywhere else in the world and didn't. But Mickey Mouse shows up in 1928, Steamboat Willie. He's playing some music. The song that he was playing, and this is all from Nicholas Salmon's interview in NPR. Like, I just want to give credit to the fact that he is the expert. I did not make this observation. Yes. The song that he's playing, we now call Turkey in the Straw. But at the time, it was called something very different. It was a song from a minstrel show. And the original title is Old Zip Coon.
1: Oh, yikes.
0: So it's not at all turkey in the straw.
1: Not at all. Wait, and that was what it was called at the time when Walt Disney chose to make that Mickey Mouse's entrance into the world.
0: As far as I know. Yeah. I don't don't actually know when the the title changed, but uh, the way that Salmon talks about it, it's like anybody listening to it who had any understanding, basically, you know, if you're not a child, if you're an adult at the time, you would have heard it and fully understood the implications.
1: Yikes. This, can, is, this is a song associated with minstrel shows.
0: Yes. And so uh, Salmon continued. He talked about how, like, Mickey's facial characteristics and the gloves he wears, the way he acts, his bodily plasticity and his ability to, quote, take punishment are all parts of the markers of the, of the minstrel that are or had kind of been established by the time he came on the scene.
1: Wait, so literally the cartoonish violence that Mickey takes is actually tied back to the mental shows, which is also then depicted people taking violence comedically, yes. which is part of like the normalization of violence against black bodies yes. in America. Yes. I am, I am not going to look at Mickey Mouse the same next time.
0: No, it's, it's horrible. It, and it was deliberate. Yeah, that's like the we crazy can, part. It is, it is undeniable that... Even if it wasn't like I'm going to portray Mickey as a black character, I am going to portray him as a white character portraying the very worst of what those white people could conjure up to tell the story of black lives. It's bad.
1: I hope Goofy's a little bit more. Innocent.
0: Didn't make it to Goofy, but we're honestly, going to talk no. about Donald Duck soon.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and Goofy honestly has a lot of things in common with Mickey in that front. Okay, man, we're just sparing nobody. All right, let's keep going.
0: Let's go. So, like I said, by the time Mickey makes his debut, vaudeville performances and minstrel shows were, like, on their way out. And uh, experts of this at the time talk about how blackface, even though the, like, medium for it is gone, the vaudeville and minstrel shows, it now has a new audience in animation. And it's still, like, a concept in the zeitgeist.
1: The next generation.
0: Yes. Heard about the movie Dumbo? Yes, I have. Know about it?
1: Uh, They just did a remake, live action.
0: They did. So Dumbo premieres 15 years after Mickey. So Mickey's 1928, Dumbo comes around 1941. Do you remember any of the music from the movie? No. I can't watch it personally. The number one song from this movie is performed by a group of black crows who perform minstrel-esque songs, and the lead singer... His name, Jim Crow.
1: Wait, seriously? The Crow's name is actually Jim? Jim Crow. I take it Walt Disney was not super into subtlety.
0: It's not. If he was, he wasn't very good at yeah, it. Yeah, he wasn't
1: very good. Maybe he's <laughs> trying, but wow, Jim yeah, the, Crow. The
0: Crows don't actually have a name in the movie, but on the script, it's like, Jim Crow sings, and then they talk, then it's like the lines for That's the That's fucking Crow. bonkers. The worst. Let's go back still to the late 1920s, 1930s. Disney is animating. His studio is becoming increasingly successful.
1: People are eating his Jim Crow cartoons up.
0: Not quite there yet, but they're loving the... Minstrel Mickey. The Minstrel Mickey. Got mm-hmm. it.
1: 1933,
0: when we talk about Disney, we're talking about like the Disney studios at this point. But what I want to make very, very clear is that Walt Disney was hyper involved in every single part of Disney Studios. It wasn't like these movies got published and he was like, oh my bad, I didn't review that. He's like in create, like he's producing, he's in content meetings. He's
1: He's not a hands-off manager. He's a showrunner, basically. Yeah, he he is running this. (laughs) Got it.
0: He releases a short film called The Three Little Pigs, one of the very first animations that gets put out into theaters in color.
1: I think I've seen this one.
0: You would have seen this one. This is one of the most popular Disney films. You would not have seen the version that he released in 1933. Hugely successful at the time. Also really anti-Semitic.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: shit. Wait. 1933. Yeah. Not a great time to be pushing. There's AD never Semitic. a good time. For yeah, yeah. Let's
1: <laughs> but, rephrase that. But,
0: but quite a terrible moment to be an animation studio that is gaining in popularity to be pushing anti-Semitic. Sentiments.
1: Yeah, I would not have put Walt Disney Studios down on the side of anti-Semitic propaganda right before World War II.
0: Right. So this movie, like I said, is like very popular at the time, and uh, it isn't until 1948 that someone at the studio is like, "Whoopsie Daisy, uh, we just went through World War II, and turns out we were on the wrong side of history." Yeah. <laughs> so we need to edit this movie before. There was a scene that featured the big bad wolf as a derogatorily, derogatorily, is that the word? As a caricature of? A caricature of a Jewish peddler. Uh-huh. And people in Disney's life would later say, like, he wasn't an anti-Semite. There were Jewish people who worked at Disney. But if there's anything we've learned from cleanup crews is that it's okay to be skeptical of them. Yeah. The other reason... He got a reputation for being an anti-Semite. Is that in 1938, a month after Kristallnacht, Disney welcomed the Nazi film director, Lenny Reifchenstall. Just like, was like, hey, Linny, come on in.
1: Wait, welcomed him, like, he visited uh, the a United woman. States. her woman. Na- yeah, oh, it's a woman. okay.
0: Yeah, he, like, welcomes her to the studio, takes her around.
1: Kristallnacht being the night when the Nazis went through the uh, Germany I don't know if it was across country or just in Munich and basically like went and broke the windows of mm-hmm. all of the Jewish owned businesses like yes. smashed them in. Yes. Um Kristallnacht like gla- night of glass, right? Cuz they yes. just smashed all the glass in the wind front. So there was already like violence against the Jewish people like yes. explicitly it was not threats it was not like discrimination it was like starting to actually conduct violence. And then after that Disney's like Oh, yeah. Come take a tour.
0: Yeah. Hey, Hitler, do you have any filmmakers that you would like to come see this animation studio? And it wasn't
1: just like a German. It was a it was an explicitly Nazi. Filmmaker. It was.
0: This woman has been described as Hitler's, quote, pet filmmaker. Yikes. Like she is the one who documented the war from the Nazi perspective. Oh, shit. She offers to show him some of her work. And Disney's like, no, thanks. I don't want people to know that I invited you here or hosted you. I can't let other people figure that out
1: or find that out. Walt Disney is trying to be like under the table about this.
0: She goes back to Germany and she says, quote, It was gratifying to learn how thoroughly proper Americans distanced themselves from the smear campaigns of the Jews.
1: Oh, yikes.
0: Uh, About Walt Disney. Any plausible deniability feels a little thin to me at this point.
1: Yeah. Sounds like the work of... uh, crew of people desperately trying to save face for Disney.
0: Right. The next few years are known as the golden age of animation. By 1934, Disney is bored of making these like short films, these short clips. He wants to make a full-length movie.
1: And that's something that had not been done before.
0: Not a full-length animated movie. Nope. And so he sets out to to make Snow White. And everyone in Hollywood is like, you ding-dong, you're going to go broke. They were not wrong.
1: Oh, went broke.
0: This movie takes four years to make. Oh, shit. It goes three times over the budget.
1: Like triples the budget that they made for it.
0: Yes. He ends up having to spend $1.5 million in 1934 money.
1: A million dollars in 1934 money? 1.5. 1.
0: 1.5. 5. 1.
1: 5.
0: What do you think that that is now?
1: Uh, 10, 15?
0: $30 million oh, dollars to make Snow White.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess it's not unreasonable now for movie budgets, but it's... A uh, lot.
0: It's a lot. It's it's a lot. So behind the scenes, Disney is calling the shots, creative director. It takes so long be, because he has such exacting standards. He was like notorious for never praising his employees. Um, like the highest compliment he could pay someone was, that'll work. And like you were expected to just like... Deal with it. Deal with it. Such exacting standards. Wanted to get it very precise, and also doing things like referring to Snow White dwarves as, quote, an inward pile, and another term that I'm not going to say that is, like, very derogatory to black people. So he's just, like, saying it out loud all around.
1: Yikes. The dwarves aren't black, right? We're just... you no. he's, he's just, like, throwing in slurs for good measure. Just, like, toss them around. Part yeah. of his casual parlance. Man, that's fucked up. Yes. Okay.
0: The film finally premieres, 1937. Huge hit. Makes a bunch of money. Studio's like, phew.
1: Makes some money back.
0: We're not going to go broke. They made $4 million.
1: Oh, oh, and they spent a million and a half. So, yes. yes.
0: So, Disney is like, this is it. This is my ticket. We're going to make full-length feature films, and that's it. Fuck these shorts.
1: Triple your money.
0: Triple your money. They start working on Pinocchio and Fantasia, both of which have very explicit racially charged imagery metaphors iconography not going to dig into those okay if you want to watch him it's it's mostly about like black servitude to white characters interesting he spends a ton of money you know when they're finally released it's 1939 1940 it costs so much to make these movies and it takes so long that between one hit and then the next movie being released disney is essentially bankrupt Every time, just every put time. all the chips
1: into the next movie. Every time.
0: yes, they are. These two movies are not a hit like Snow White was. Ooh. It's the brink of World War II. People do not have disposable income. Nobody in Europe is like chilling at the theater. No, right? No. Yep. So there is not like global distribution of this movie. He does not like this.
1: Yeah, I'd be pretty pissed too.
0: This is a moment in which Disney becomes particularly cruel. So. Apparently he was controlling. He would humiliate them, total Steve Jobs style, yeah, in front of everyone, including his brother. Like at one point, his brother came to a meeting and was like, "Hey, Fantasia, the animation looks great, but these movie or this music is a bit outdated. How about we update it?" And Disney is like, "Get the fuck out of this meeting!" And why don't you quote, "Go back down and keep the books.
1: Get your ass out of here. Get your yeah. ass out of
0: here." 1940, company is barely hanging on. They offer their first IPO. They're like, hey, we need some public money. Let's put some of this company out there for the public to buy. A lot of folks don't have a ton of disposable income, it turns out. Terrible
1: time for an IPO.
0: Not the gangbusters they hoped for. And so what they start doing is cutting salaries. They have no money. They're not getting it from the public. At this point, it's too late. In addition to the fact that they're not going to get money fast enough, everyone at Disney is tired of his shit. So they uh, elect a couple of the higher ups in the company to go to Walt Disney and say like, hey, we demand a union. And instead of being like, it must be very hard to be an employee at Disney during this very financially difficult time, But you are on the forefront. Let's rally around being sort of like a leader who mobilizes around this vision that he knows they can accomplish once there's more funds.
1: If we've heard anything about him, that does not sound like his style. No.
0: No. Like my man's Henry Ford, he brings in the armed guards. Oh, shit. He fires all the organizers. He further cuts everybody's salary. And Just out of spite. Out of spite. More and then, pay cuts. And then he like closes the coffee shop. And he's like, fuck you guys, you can't have coffee.
1: <laughs> no fucking coffee.
0: No coffee. The beatings
1: will continue until morale improves.
0: He also gives this sort of like notorious speech that I'm not going to read because it's long. But the, the summary of it is, hey, if you're not progressing and making enough money in this company, it's because you're bad at your job. It's not my problem.
1: In conclusion, fuck you.
0: In conclusion... <laughs> Gives this big speech to all 1,200 of his employees in a studio. 1,200.
1: There's a lot of employees. Got There's it. a lot now. Yes. Okay. It's a
0: big company. They... I don't know how far $4 million in 1939 goes, but I bet very far.
1: Get you 1,200 employees is what it gets you. 1,200
0: employees. Gives a speech afterward to like demonstrate force. He fires 16 employees on the spot. And then when 200 of the other employees, even without a union, strike, he fires a bunch of them also. And this is, like, right in the middle of making Dumbo. So there's, like, a big movie on the line. So what Disney does is petty as hell. Instead of trying to understand his employees more, what he does is he draws caricatures of all of the union organizers (laughs) and puts them in Dumbo as these sort of, like, antagonistic clowns. He also physically attacks one of them while they're picking...
1: The clown guardians were just a gesture, but he also is going to fucking beat up on them.
0: Yes, he had to be, like, pulled off from, like, attacking the lead organizer.
1: That's that's the image of Walt Disney that I want to see school children walk away with. Right. The union-busting
0: bastard bows. who's just like, yeah, throwing
1: <laughs> bows at, at the union organizers who are just like, please pay us more money.
0: Eventually, there's some, like, mediation, and a union is recognized, but not... Before half of the animators leave or are fired. So there's like 500 some odd number that leave. Later, Disney would further retaliate against these employees that he fired or left by testifying to the House Un-American Activities Committee. This
1: uh, this guy goes in front of the committee against, against the workers who are quitting.
0: Just like Reagan. Yeah. Just like John Wayne.
1: And J. Edgar Hoover's there in the background. Man, we, just a he lot does. of the, these shitty people. This is like, a, it's like a convention of it's a, shittiness.
0: It's a convention of shittiness. He goes there and he's like, hey, uh, is communism.
1: <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> he's
0: like, communism is why there was like a strike. Communism is why. He's
1: like, you wouldn't know what was communism? They had a fucking coffee shop in the office. Took that shit away. Right. Yes.
0: All 500 of these people, communists, get some blacklisted.
1: Wow. All, that's insane. Just like ruin people's careers over this.
0: Wild. He's such a petty little bitch. Oh, man. So petty. So it's 1941 at this point. Dumbo, successful. They recover financially. Turns out people are really in when Disney makes racist shit.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's (laughs) the key to the American uh, consumer. There you go. Racism. Racism.
0: Now we're actually, like, in the thick of World War II. Disney is like, it is a poor time to invest all $3 or whatever I made from Dumbo into the next feature film. So he then negotiates contracts with the U.S. government to make short propaganda clips. There you go. Donald Duck comes from one of these contracts.
1: Wait, Donald Duck did not exist before the U.S. propaganda films? No.
0: He was a character designed to encourage people to purchase war bonds.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: So throughout the like early 40s, that's what they're doing. By 45, the war ends. These contracts dry up and Disney is like, I I guess we're going back to making feature films. And that's cool because in 1939, I negotiated the rights to the Uncle Remus tales.
1: The, The excuse me?
0: Uncle Remus, do you know anything about this? Uh,
1: No, but it sounds racist.
0: It is. It is racist. Disney's like, let's make a movie that is like super racist, explicitly racist. Everybody understands that the Uncle Remus tales are... Um, they're they're not subtle. This is not subliminal. This is like it's not like you
1: have some crows that are named Jim in here, like doing caricatures of like what you would have you know expect from black stereotypes. Yes, this so, is like black people being depicted in racist ways as the point of the movie.
0: Uncle Remus tales are these uh, stories about formerly enslaved people or black people living in uh, the South post Civil War. That reinforce the sort of, like, subservient black person who is, like, joyful and excited and, like, jolly about it. Still
1: usually a servant or subservient to white people, even though technically free now.
0: Yes. Uncle Tom sort of ideas. Yeah. Right? It's propaganda to make it seem like enslaving people wasn't actually bad for the enslaved. Yes. they, like, enjoyed it. They, like, still called... They're free, but they still call white people, like, master and things like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, and so Disney, <laughs> Disney buys these rights to this, and this is, like, the big, like, we're launching the studio. We finally have money again after the war. It this was, is- like, a
0: hard negotiation. He, like, fought for it, knowing full well the racist implications of them. So they make this movie. It's called Song of the South that is so racist that Disney... Will no longer allow it to be shown in public.
1: I was, I was wondering. I was like, I've never seen this before.
0: It is locked in a vault, and for nearly three decades, Disney is like, "Nope, <laughs> we're not going to let people see this. We're not going to reissue it."
1: Not three, not three decades. Like right after it's made.
0: No, no, no. Uh, the last three decades since basically like the early nineties. After oh, yeah, there was like a remake of it that was like supposed to be slightly less racist. That some people saw up until then, but for years. They just
1: like threw it in that Disney vault where they put all the VHS's for those years. Yeah. And just have everything else came out but that stayed in the vault.
0: That stays in the vault. And people who try to defend this movie, and there are still some of them, right, Cleanup Crew Abound, want to talk about this movie being like a product of its time.
1: Bullshit though.
0: It wasn't. Bull. Bullshit. Yes. When the film was made, Disney knew Walt Disney knew that it was too racist so racist in fact that when he saw a screening of it he was like we should probably talk to the NAACP and see what their thoughts are wait what yeah and then never had the meeting and just released it anyway
1: yeah and this is not like oh it's depicting current events this is like painting this like you know patina of nostalgia when you're like post-world war ii it's almost
0: 1950 yeah, yeah right you're
1: in the fucking 50s at this point like yes
0: Disney himself knew it was too racist. And uh didn't let it stop him. Didn't let it stop him. In fact, the song, like the song from this movie that is most famous, is still probably basically like Disney, the concept of Disney's theme song. Uh Zippity Doodah.
1: Oh, no way. Zippity Doodah is from this this movie? It
0: is. And it is still currently played when you're on the Splash Mountain rides. Oh, what? So are images from this movie.
1: Wait, Splash Mountain?
0: Yes. This week, in fact, as in like two days ago from when we were recording this, there was a petition started to remove that song and the images from the ride and replace them with images from the 2009 Princess and the Frog movie.
1: Ah, how fitting.
0: How How fitting. fitting. Even though this movie is not allowed to be seen, this sort of, like, institutionalization of this post-Civil War nostalgia, like, oh, everybody's happy. This is fine. And just, like, permeated this Disney
1: lore. Yeah. Disney lore.
0: Yes. He's out here greenlighting these movies. And at the same time, Disney himself is growing increasingly politically conservative. Becomes vehemently anti-communist. And he testified in front of the House on American Activities. He also, coincidentally, had a pretty good relationship with J. Edgar Hoover.
1: That does not surprise me because you say good relationship. And if we learned anything last week, good relationship means motherfucker had some dirt on him for sure. Hoover
0: knew some things. This relationship was so good
1: Good in in like big giant exaggerated air quotes mm-hmm. here
0: that there is evidence of Disney being an actual FBI informant. Oh shit! In return for information, Walt Disney's a cop. Walt Disney is a cop,
1: motherfucker.
0: So in return for this information that Disney is passing to Hoover about the communists mm-hmm. <laughs> and all of this scandal happening in the in Hollywood. Disney's allowed to, like, actually film stuff, like live action, in the FBI headquarters in Washington.
1: Wait, does that make it into, like, Disney movies and mm-hmm. stuff? Wait, what Disney movies have, like, FBI headquarters
0: stuff in them? I don't know. I didn't do further research into that, but that was noted in multiple stories.
1: Interesting. In
0: 1954, Disney was made a, quote, full special agent in charge contact
1: wait okay so special agent in charge is somebody who's in charge of an fbi office i think right yes okay so so so
0: he's a contact he's like the go-to
1: whoa so they like he has like the direct line straight mm-hmm. to the leadership
0: right okay so now we're in the 50s mid 50s at this point uh disney is less involved in actual day-to-day animations his studio is big it's thriving they have a sustainable business <laughs> model at this point Rooted in just racism. Yeah. We haven't even talked about, and we will not talk about in great depth because there's just not time, the sexism that Disney himself and his studio propagated.
1: Yeah. I mean, clearly it has pervaded the films of Disney enough to like prompt a whole new dialogue in present day about like how the roles of women in the Disney movies and the princesses, the princess trope got perpetuated and for like generations of girls. The helpless woman at the hands of, like, the guy coming in to rescue has just been the right. de facto model for what Disney was going to be. Absolutely. Well, we're not going to mention that. We're not
0: going to talk too much about that. At this point, early 50s, like, one of the last movies that he's, like, really hands-on helping make are movies like Peter Pan and Cinderella. Speaking of Disney princesses, just want to note, like I said before, when you we were talking about Splash Mountain, the very first uh, black Disney princess didn't happen until 2009. So, it
1: took Disney not only being dead, but having, like, all of the people who had been in leadership positions that Disney had ever put there being dead, essentially, as well, before you had any semblance of, like, representation of black people in a non-slave-oriented role.
0: Yes. So if you think about Snow White, right, that's, like, the 30s, 40s. And then it's not till 2009 that there's a black princess.
1: Literally not until the next century.
0: Right. That's a whole nother podcast in and of itself. Early 50s, that's when Disney's like, I want a theme park because when I take my children to public parks, they're too dirty. So I want a place that is magical and fantastical and super clean where parents can pay to take their children. Launches Disneyland in the early 50s by, it's not for a decade later that he tries to launch Disney World. At that point, he has lung cancer. So
1: Because he was a voracious smoker.
0: Voracious smoker. Unfiltered cigarettes for 40 years.
1: Yes. The only thing I know about his cleanup crew Mm -hmm. is that in all of the Disney pictures, you always see Disney pointing with two fingers.
0: It's just they photoshopped out the cigarette.
1: They photoshopped out the cigarette between his two fingers. And now, even today, all of the Disney employees I I have heard, I haven't seen, have always point with two fingers, Mm. and they say it's like the Disney point. But it's really because that goes back to him always having a cigarette in his fingers, no matter what, all the time.
0: Unfiltered, forty years of smoking, nineteen sixty six, dies of lung cancer. Was not contrary to sort of like urban legend. Cryogenically frozen. That we know of. That we know of. Apparently he was cremated and buried in a private garden. Which kind of feels like what should happen to some of his movies.
1: Yeah, I mean just light him up. Or or just have them become much more closely associated with the Disney brand and all of the work yeah. that Disney's done to like try to distance itself from its roots in catering to yes. the racist states of America.
0: Yes. And I would say in recent decades, the last two decades in particular, there have been deliberate and explicit efforts by Disney to be the Disney, the company to be more representative, to employ more people of color, in especially in leadership positions. Yeah, now that
1: Disney, him, Walt Disney himself is dead, there's other people now who are taking the reins and like trying to shape this to whatever ends they can. Like,
0: right, but to the extent that Disney as an institution has the opportunity to make amends by saying like, "Hey, we're sorry we contributed to this narrative about black people, people of color, and women." They probably should in this moment, not just like right now, like in this moment, Black Lives Matter. But as an organization, we recognize the success of our company is rooted in oppression and we're going to do better. Just like anybody from Disney could say that, should say that. We should send them this episode. There we go. Yeah. So all that is to say, Walt Disney, not my hero.
1: Not the direction I expected Mickey Mouse to go, <laughs> right. It's
0: a lot to unpack there. And to be honest, this is probably only 20% of what we could fit into Oh yeah, a podcast. Just.
1: Do you think Chippendale Rescue Rangers are racist?
0: So essentially, probably, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's the basic rule. That's yeah. the default assumption at this point.
0: There's a lot of racism, anti-Semitism, sexism, misogyny. Homophobia, Like all of it packed into the 81 films that Disney himself helped produce. And then the mini after that. Um, lots of people talk about him being tolerant or kind of like kind and shy in his personal life. Not sure I really buy it.
1: Yeah, it's easy to say things about somebody who's dead and is no longer there to prove you're
0: wrong. Exactly. So anyway, there's our hero for the week. Not mine. I'm going to be slightly more critical of, not slightly. Going to be more critical of the media that we consume.
1: Find us in your podcast app. Leave a review. Appreciate if you share it.
0: Yeah, would be great. Um, you can find us on social media at Your Heroes Pod.
1: And if you um, don't follow us, we right. are
0: currently actually only on Instagram and Twitter. We no longer have a Facebook, so. Even though Instagram is owned by Facebook, you you can only find us on Instagram and Twitter.
1: We're only on pretty Facebook, not regular Facebook.
0: Not regular Facebook. So.
1: Till next time.
0: Don't be a hero. Don't
1: be a hero.
0: Bye.